Well, finally, there's a bit of hope around, with Australia's domestic borders starting to come down this week and a pathway to the return of cruising in the USA. But the news isn't so good for SDA travel customers, and there's also no news at all about that hoped-for and hyped rescue package for the travel industry. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper, and this is News on the Fly. So Bruce, let's start with cruising for a change this week, where there is at last some movement in the USA with a change of heart by the Centers for Disease Control, or the CDC, which has lifted its no-sale order. What does that all mean for the industry? This is definitely a breakthrough, and you'd have to say a bold decision by the CDC, finally. Rather than just sitting on their hands with their blanket ban, they've come up with a plan to allow cruising to restart again. As everyone would know, they've had this no-sale order in place since back in March, and the industry was really pushing for some progress, particularly after CLIA presented its plan to operate safely in a COVID-19 world over the last couple of weeks. Anyway, the pressure is definitely on the CDC because the no-sale order was set to expire at the end of October anyway, so they had to make a decision. But rather than simply extending the no-sale order again, they've replaced it with a plan. It's very measured, very strict, very phased uh, for the resumption of cruising. So at least there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And so does that mean that cruise is going to restart soon? Look, there's a bunch of hoops to jump through. The industry has to implement its own plan and on top of that, basically demonstrate that they can do what they say they're going to do. Um, They've got to run a series of test voyages or mock voyages, initially with just crew on board and then more with volunteers, friends and family so they can demonstrate that all the procedures work. And despite the announcement, uh, which gives a bit of certainty, all the CLIA members have this week announced they won't be sailing again until at least the 1st of January 2021. But that does give them time to tick all the boxes required by the CDC and also, I guess, gain some experience so that they can iron out any bugs with the procedures. And look, you can bet your bottom dollar that it'll be full steam ahead to show that they can resume sailing safely as soon as they can. Um, You know, they will be so busy. But of course, there's so much to do with all those ships laid up. They've got to fire them up, get the crew sorted, quarantine, tested. So a couple of months of absolutely frenetic activity, I'd say. I should add that the timing of the move is pretty interesting, coming just a couple of days before the US presidential election, which of course is sitting on a knife edge as just as we're recording this podcast. Some conspiracy theorists have noted that Florida is a massive cruise state, a lot of its economy is based on cruising, and it's also a crucial state that President Trump needed to win. So making this decision just a couple of days before people vote certainly won't have hurt his chances of re-election. And what about Australia and New Zealand? What does it mean for the local market? Well, nothing yet. As I've said before, it's going to be a very brave politician locally who allows cruising to restart, um, you know, given all of the opprobrium around Ruby Princess and, you know, the whole cruise world. But having said that, there is finally starting to be some sense on borders as Australia demonstrates that it's got COVID-19 under control, particularly compared to the Northern Hemisphere, where it seems to be once again running rampant. So who knows? It is baby steps. Perhaps there will be some rationality and following the lead of the USA maybe at least a plan that foreshadows how cruising could restart here. Particularly given the lack of community transmission, there is no reason that we can't have domestic cruisers to nowhere operating right now inside a cruise bubble, and I'm sure that's what Clio is continuing to advocate for. Look, in the local market, we've also seen a bit of innovation this week with uh, True North, um, you know, only a very small ship, single ship operator, uh, normally runs in the Kimberley, announcing plans for domestic cruising out of Fremantle for those West Australians who are still locked behind their slowly opening up borders. 
Fingers crossed there'll be some more announcements soon because there is rising hopes of a Kimberley season as that WA hard border has become a little bit more porous. And still on the subject of procedures to restart cruising, this week Viking Cruises unveiled the world's first COVID-19 testing laboratory at sea. What are their plans for resuming cruising? Um, Yeah, look, this was a fascinating announcement and continues to show how Viking is really such an innovator. Of course, look, they're not part of CLIA, and so they haven't been privy to or involved in the development of the health and safety initiatives, you know, the healthy sail panel that various cruise lines have been part of. But Viking looks to have actually gone significantly further than CLIA's plan for its members. Our listeners will remember that when CLIA announced it was mandating compulsory COVID-19 testing of all passengers and crew before boarding a cruise ship, that was a big deal. And it certainly did show how cruise was way ahead of the rest of the travel and tourism industry about being really serious about making its products safe. But Viking is really going above and beyond with this new onboard laboratory because it'll have the capacity to test all 930 passengers on, on a full ship, plus all of the crew, every single day. And that's what Viking says it believes is necessary to absolutely ensure the safety of cruisers. I believe that they're going to unveil more details in Oslo later this month uh, when the ship Viking Star gets there. But I believe the testing involves, it's a PCR test, the, the definitive test that you get when you go for a COVID test with a nose swab. But they're doing it with a simple saliva sample. So it's pretty low maintenance. It's only on the Viking Star at the moment, but you know clearly that's a proof of concept. And interestingly, with that capacity, it'll allow them to cruise with a full ship rather than reduced occupancy, so that that should help get revenue flowing faster too. Anyway, I and you know the rest of the cruising world is really looking forward to seeing what Viking is going to announce later this month. The November issue of Travel Bulletin is out now, and this month's issue is chock full of exclusive interviews with head honchos from Webjet, Covermore, The Travel Corporation, Hurdy Gruden and Silver Sea Cruises. You can also read all about the salaries of the top execs in the travel industry with our annual Million Dollar Club. Despite COVID-19 only hitting the last quarter of the financial year, this year's fat cats are looking a lot skinnier. That plus more in November issue of Travel Bulletin. Visit travelbulletin.com.au to read the magazine. This week, the administrators of the collapsed STA Travel provided an update to the thousands of consumers affected by the company's shutdown. And the news wasn't great for many of them, but it was all pretty complicated. Can you take us through it? Yeah, look, this is an absolute mess. As everyone knows, STA Travel sadly was placed into administration a couple of months ago, and it's a multinational business, although started in Australia. It's now based in Switzerland, and it's you know just so complex. Deloitte is the administrator, but only of the Australian business, and they've been digging into basically the legalities of the situation because, of course, on top of the collapse of STA, just like every other travel agency, it was in the middle of trying to manage refunds, cancellations and rebookings. So that's making it you know, super tricky. And making things even worse is that some of the suppliers themselves have gone into administration, like Virgin Australia and CMV. Anyway, according to this summary by Deloitte this week, they reckon there are three basic classes of consumers who were STA travel consumers, and each of them has a different likelihood of getting their money back. The first one is easy, those who had existing bookings but hadn't done anything about them, they, they hadn't tried to get a refund or a rebooking, well they've turned out to be quite lucky because Deloitte believes that that means there's an existing contract between them directly with the supplier. STA is sort of out of the picture as, a, as an agent. So those people who didn't apply for refunds can approach the airline or tour operator themselves and sort it out, get a refund or a future credit or whatever. So that's good news for them. Uh, basically, sitting on their hands and not trying to get a refund has put them in the best position, ironically, in terms of this collapse. However, 
What was really interesting was the status of those who had asked for refunds at the time that STA ceased trading in August. The administrator believed that in those cases, the money that'll come back from the airlines or tour operators, and as we know, it's taking months and months in some cases for one, from ones you know like Qantas who are so recalcitrant, if STA had requested the refund, they believe that the money belongs with the administration to help pay out all the creditors, just like in a normal liquidation where the unsecured creditors generally don't get much, and of course, to also pay the administrator's bills. So those ones, the ones who had asked for a refund, been trying to get it, and I suppose you'd say had done the right thing, look like they're going to have to line up just like all the other unsecured creditors, like landlords, etc., in the hope of getting some cents in the dollar payout. The situation's even worse for those who had requested refunds and that STA had managed to get the airline or supplier to pay back, but hadn't actually processed it internally. So SDA had the money, but hadn't passed it on to the consumer. Deloitte said that based on the limited amount of cash in the SDA bank accounts when they were appointed, they're unlikely to get anything back at all. Wow, what a mess. No wonder travel agents are on the nose. Does this mean people would have been better to book direct? Look, not necessarily. There's just so many options. You know, this it's truly uncharted waters. I think the Deloitte update on STA is, is more an indication that the entire industry and travel e- ecosystem is just going through a completely unprecedented situation. Unfortunately, the systems for the sale of travel and cruising, both directly and through intermediaries, just weren't built for this situation. And as luck would have it, lots of people are going to suffer financially, I think. Finally, speaking of financial suffering, has there been any update from AFTA on its efforts to get some sort of an industry-specific package from the federal government? Unfortunately not. And I think that everyone was definitely hoping for a little bit more certainty at this stage. I know AFTA CEO Darren Rudd's been in Canberra and I constantly get assured that he's meeting with this or that politician and everyone's very receptive. But I also think that the industry deserves a little bit more transparency about what exactly AFTA is proposing. You know, it kind of leaked out that the initial $125 million ask has now apparently doubled to $250 million. That was first revealed in a speech by Bill Shorten, believe it or not, not from AFTA. And there's absolutely no clarity about how, if that money came through, it would be delivered. Because Darren has also indicated that it'll go right across the sector, not just for AFTA members or even those who were part of ATAS, but all travel agents, even non-members, and on top of that, all tour operators and wholesalers too. I just think it's all super vague and you can forgive the government for wanting more detail and I think the industry deserves that too. Look, the industry has been amazing in banding together and definitely politicians across the country do have a much better idea of what agents are going through and that was reflected in a very positive media statement from the National Party the other day who are, after all, the coalition partner, part of the government. But as day after day and then week after week and now a whole month has passed since the budget with no news, no update, I think people can be forgiven for beginning to lose hope. Well, we don't want to end on that down note. So what are some of the good news stories that have been around this week? Yeah, look, I'm sorry for being a bit depressing, and it's definitely not all bad news. I think the most exciting thing is that borders are finally starting to open. We've seen quite a, uh, an update from Flight Centre this week at their annual general meeting about you know an uptick in bookings every time there is a movement on borders, and also... They've, they've published the results of a survey showing you know, massive pin-up demand, particularly for travel to Queensland from within Australia. And as we saw with the first wave of openings back in June, before the um, lockdowns happened again, that did spark some immediate activity. Even Western Australia's opening up, surely Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk, now re-elected, surely she's running out of excuses to reopen. And we've now seen some great product come onto the market. 
as tour operators increasingly pivot to domestic. We know there's pent-up demand. Having survived this far, a little bit of positive sentiment in the market is sure to produce something in terms of bookings. And of course, there was also the great news of the government's plan to roll out a COVID-19 vaccine when it becomes available. Health Minister Greg Hunt, pretty upbeat um, you know, on the, the data, the results of testing, suggesting that it could happen as early as March, initially to health professionals, etc. But you know, look, that's only four or five months away. So we might be past halfway through this nightmare. There are lots of positives, on top of which we're in Australia, where there's practically no cases. We've got a roof over our head, three meals a day. So let's count our blessings. Yeah, let's count our blessings indeed. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Keep up to date with your daily newsletters throughout the week from Travel Daily and from Cruise Weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends and give us a rating. We really do appreciate all your support. We'll be back next week with more news on the fly.